Blog Talk Radio. This is the Sunbury Press Authors Interview. I'm Van Carter. Well, we all know of psychologists and proctologists, toxicologists, and ecologists. But until I ran across this book from Michael Hawley, I had never heard of ripperologists. But it's a real thing. And just like Civil War buffs, it's not a joke. It was 130 years ago this very week that the last of Jack the Ripper's victims met her fate. And people have been studying and investigating the reams of police documents, personal correspondence, and newspaper accounts ever since, trying to come up, finally, with the answer, who was this guy, this terrible murderer and desecrator of the human body? Michael Hawley has been at this for quite some time and is considered one of the tops in this field. I have him as my guest, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Jack the Ripper Suspect, Dr. Francis Tumblety. Mr. Hawley, thanks for being here. Well, thank you very much, Van. I know you've spoken at Ripperology conventions in the U.S. and in London in recent years, so I thank you for giving us some time as well. Your well-researched book has convinced me you're onto something here. <laughs> Great. <clears throat> Tell us about what you're onto. Okay. The uh, well, first of all, the the Jack the Ripper murders, the Whitechapel, occurred in uh, East End London in uh, the fall of 1888 in the districts of uh, poor districts of Whitechapel and Spitalfields, and there was a series of murders there. So a series murder, so that's where the serial murders uh, term came from. And so in this particular case, there was between 4 and 15 prostitutes, or actually unfortunates as they called, uh, they were called, uh, that had been murdered. But uh, so five of them have a very similar MO or uh, offender signature. And so we call those the uh, the canonical five that they likely were from one person, and this is uh, the name Jack the Ripper stuck after a letter. So we don't, uh, it's still unsolved, and uh, so that's the exciting thing. The original documents have since been destroyed, um, almost all of them. So we, uh, we find amazing amount of information, and recently, the reason for the writing of this latest book, 900 pages of sworn testimony on one of the, the key suspects at the, of the, uh, the Whitechapel murders, an American quack doctor and so the the, the book jack the ripper suspect dr francis tumbledy in its name is by uh, about this person it's actually the second of two books that have just been published that i just published with the uh, sunbury press the first one was called the ripper's haunts in uh, 2016 which uh prompted uh, uh, a, a uh, lectures in uh, in baltimore and also liverpool that uh that that particular book talked about the, the recent discovery showing that Scotland Yard did indeed consider him a serious suspect. And then this uh, latest information, all this uh, wealth of inf- uh, information, 
shows that he may very well have been Jack the Ripper himself. Now, uh, as a researcher, I will never say 100% that this person uh, that he was. When I do that, then I, uh, I'm done researching. So it's like I'm focusing on what I do is I focus on one particular suspect, and I started focusing on Francis Tumbley first, since he's buried only an hour and a half away from me, and I since. I keep on finding more information, so I can't get to the next next suspect. And there's about three or three to five good suspects out there. So, but uh, this guy, this particular person was, he was actually, he, uh, uh, in the 19th century, he was a woman hater. He was a quack do- American doctor. That, uh, in the, in the case, he was kind of like uh, in the mid 19th century, he was uh, like a snake oil salesman. And uh, what and that his particular flavor was called an Indian herb doctor. So he, so he made a around, lot of money at it. Oh yeah, well, within the first three years, he was uh, made over a million dollars in today's value. So he learned a business. He was he was one of eleven children, but he was born in Ireland in 1830. And so 1847, the peak of the Irish potato famine kicked in. And so, and his father was a tenant farmer, so they were poor. And although many of his siblings had already moved to uh, to the United States before the uh, potato famine, because Ireland was already experiencing economic stress, uh, because uh, for a number of reasons. So then you could see that, and north and northeast United States was uh, economic had had an economic boom. That. Uh, uh, but at 1847, he came at age 17 and moved to Rochester, New York. And that was 1847. By 1850, he uh, got involved with a French cures doctor, and he would uh, help sell their, his pamphlets. Then 1853, he got involved with this charismatic Indian herb doctor named uh, Rudolph J. Lyons in Rochester. And then within three years, Tumbley was on his own. He uh, went across the border to Ontario, uh, London, Ontario, and started opened up his first office. And then, by 18 uh, that was uh, eight, that was 1856. By 1860, he was in Toronto, and he was already a millionaire. He was so good at it. Well, listen, I'm I'm uh, we're going to keep our focus on this guy, but <clears throat> I'm just curious. I've got a, a few questions about this whole field here. And first of all, how 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 do you get started with something like this? Well, what happened was is in 2009, I had uh, had been involved in getting my first book published on a completely different sus- uh, subject, and I and, and that was at the time when the economy was really going down, and uh, so there was questions whether the publisher was going to take some of these uh, these books. So I so I was uh, I had watched a show uh, called uh, Mystery Quest, and I. And I saw that this uh, this man named Stuart Evans, who was a retired uh, British police officer, had been researching uh, the Jack the Ripper murders for 30 years. Uh, this was 1992, and he discovered this letter from this Chief Inspector Littlechild, that who was the Chief Inspector of Scotland, Yard, Scotland Yard's uh, special branch, which was kind of like the CIA version back then. And that person was in the know, and he was not directly involved with the Ripper murders, but he was he was involved with everything. And when he was uh, 15 years later, a retired journalist who was still trying to figure out who Jack the Ripper was contacted him and asked him who he thought. And so what happened was that Stuart Evans in the 1990s 
read this private letter that was in the files of this uh, George Sims, who was the uh, journalist, and it was directly from uh, Chief Inspector Littlechild saying that uh, France, Dr. Francis Tumbley was a very likely suspect. And Stuart Evans had never heard of the guy, <clears throat> been doing research for 30 years. He's considered one of the top researchers. And so it's, be, it's basically because Scotland Yard had buried it, uh, because what happened was is when they arrested him uh, just before the last murder, uh, they, nobody saw the murder. So no one was arrested directly for the murders, and anything could stick because no one saw the murders. Um, so uh, the, uh, but what happened was is when they arrested him on suspicion because they, what they did with any single man that was talking to a prostitute back at that time, they were arresting that person and finding out who they were and where they lived, and then they would release them. So when they arrested this guy, they found out that they already had record, a big record on Francis Tumbley. This was 1888, because Tumbley had been going to London uh, from 1873 to 1888 twice a year. And while he was going there, he would get himself into trouble sometimes. And so he had a record. In that record, uh, Chief Inspector Littlechild said that he had this, uh, it was fact on record that he had this extreme hatred of women. And he was an American doctor. And back then, uh, there was one, one theory that Jack the Ripper was actually a foreigner, maybe an American, because one of the letters that named, uh, that he signed it, Jack the Ripper, they didn't know if that was real or uh, a, a fraud, but at that time they thought it was real, that uh, they, he, there were some Americanisms in that letter, so, which hinted that it could be, be a person. And also, Jack the Ripper seemed to know what, uh, when, he, when he would murder a woman, he had only minutes in the dark, and he would eviscerate. He took two uteruses, and he took uh, a heart and a kidney, and he would just do it that fast. And uh, so because here comes a constable walking down the beat, because the first four of those canonical five women were murdered outside. And so the, uh, the surgeons at the time believed that Jack Tripper not necessarily had anatomical skill, but had anatomical knowledge, knew where yeah, to go. Yeah, this trouble, and this trouble that he got into... Uh, uh, that he had a history for was uh, homosexual activity. Yes, which was what they called back then gross indecency. And what happened was, is when they arrested him, he had letters in his pockets, and this is what the reports, uh, the uh, uh, a couple reports were talking about. That in those letters showed that he had a uh, an intimate relationship with four young men, and so what they they thought was uh, they could get him off the streets by arresting him on this gross indecency and indecent assault. So what happened was when they arrested him November 7th, they arrested him on gross indecency and indecent assault. But what happens is within 24 hours of your arrest, you are required to go in front of a police magistrate. Uh, and the police magistrate will uh, either, uh, so you either have to uh, uh, prosecute or let them go. And so what happened was is, they were going to uh, prosecute for that charge. And so the magistrate had a remand hearing to uh, before, like in about a week would be his committal hearing. So they were going to have a hearing in front of that magistrate to see if we, they should bring it up to the next level, to the judge. And that would be that central criminal court. So uh, that, they had a week to prepare for that. So this remand hearing was to see if they should keep Tumbley in jail. Was he a flight risk? Well, 
his committal hearing, which was November 14th, he posted bail November 16th. So we have record of him receiving bail on the November 16th. So the November 7th, November 7th or 8th remand hearing, he likely it was the same <coughs> magistrate. He likely received that that same opportunity for bail. And Tumbley always had. Uh, uh, expensive jewelry and uh, that's hundreds of dollars in his pocket, which would be thousands of dollars of today's value. He would have been able to post bail easily, and so in two days later is when the last uh, Mary Kelly, the last of the murder victim, uh, occurred on November 9th. So then November 16th, November 14th was the committal hearing, and what happened was is uh, so he posted bail November 16th and was free. And they scheduled the court case December 10th. Well, November 19th was the grand jury. So the grand jury returned a true bill, which meant that the grand jury felt there was enough evidence to take him to court. So that's when Tumbley knew that he he was going to be facing two to ten years in jail, uh, depending on how they used the the charges. And so he had already been in jail, and he didn't like that idea. So... That was November 19th, and what we have is November uh, 20th, we have record of him uh, collecting money from New York City, his bank in New York City, and November 24th, he's in France on board a ship. He got the the hell out of Dodge, didn't he? He sneaked out of the country, and the the murder stopped. And so what happened was, the question is, is, uh, what happened after that? Uh, well, you said the Tumbley. last murder was on November 9th. Was he in custody then? He would not have been. I mean, what, some people thought that he would, therefore he was not a suspect. But we know, uh, uh, since we don't have any court records back then, we just have the uh, court calendars, which show that when his, he was received into custody on November 7th, and then there was a warrant for him to go back to court on November 14th, some people thought that he was in jail, therefore he would not have been uh, the Jack the Ripper. Well, there were three Scotland Yard officials after November, after the Mary Kelly murder that uh, commented on Tumbley being a Jack the Ripper suspect, uh, as in one was Little Child himself saying he was a likely suspect. Another was the man in charge of the Ripper murders was an, uh, Assistant Commissioner Anderson, who on November 20th to the 23rd was contacting U.S. chiefs of police about Ripper suspect Francis Tumbley, any information on Tumbley. And so then we also but then, know but that... But then he, he found his way, I mean, he made his way back to the States, came yes. back into the New York area, and... Uh, from 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 what I read in your book, there were like it was it was like the the local media, the local newspapers, kind of had a frenzy for the next couple of months, uh, knowing that he was a suspect, and they and they talked about him left and right. Yes, yes, and what happened was is when the ship arrived December second, nobody knew that he had escaped yet, except the day before on De- I mean sorry December second December. Uh, December 1st was a report from the New York World's London correspondent from London who had a connection in Scotland Yard that said that Francis Tumbledy was last seen in Havre, France, likely on his way. So that was the day before that that was the very first time anybody knew that he sneaked out. 
And before that, all the reports thought that Tumbley was still in in uh, Holloway Prison. Well, he had actually got out of Holloway Prison November 16th when he posted bail. So no reporters, no one knew that except Scotland Yard and then the courts. And so on December 2nd, the ship pulled in. Well, Chief Inspector Thomas Burns, who was the head detective in New York City, had two of his uh, uh, detectives at the, the plank waiting for Tumbley to get off the ship. So And so and Burns was always in contact with Scotland Yard. So he knew a week prior, Burns said, that Tumbley was on his way. So Scotland Yard contacted him and said, here comes Tumbley. So they could not, uh, and from Burns' mouth himself, said they could not arrest Tumbley because the gross indecency case was a misdemeanor. So you, it's not extraditable. So what happened was is, Two years prior to this, Burns told the, the the newspapers that what would happen was is when Scotland Yard would tell him about uh, a prisoner or somebody sneaking off to New York City, he would keep an eye on him until Scotland Yard had some kind of uh, charge that would be extraditable. And so, what but I mean, this was, guy was definitely a serious suspect of Scotland Yard because uh, they, they sent a detective over to shadow him for I don't know how long. Well, there's and what well, uh, I kind of know that how much how long because what happened was there was that third detective and there were two reports from New York World and New York Herald that uh, nobody knew where uh, no the reports uh, the newspapers knew what house or what residence that Tumbley um, um, he got into a bugging went into uh, sneaked into New York City except uh, there were two of them uh, the New York World and Herald. And also these detectives knew that he went to 79 East 10th Street, which is an old place that he used to, uh, to stay. So when he was there, in the December 4th newspaper reports, it taught two reports that said that on December 3rd, they were outside the window, and they, were, they saw uh, both two reporters separately, two competing uh, newspaper reporters, separately saw this man that kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. He looked like... One of them said he looked like an English detective, <laughs> in which he was, and he was at there's a bar at the corner that he would the guy would hang out and watch, and so these reporters asked the the bartenders what this guy was saying since he wasn't talking to the reporters, and they were saying that uh, this guy said he was an English detective came here to get the guy that uh, killed the you know get Jack the Ripper basically, and so what happened was is. We found out this. This is just recently. I found this out that Tumbley sneaked out when after that report there, Tumbley knew knew full well that Scotland Yard detective was right out the door waiting for him. So within two days he was gone out of New York City. So since nobody knew where he went, and so uh, the police didn't, Scotland Yard didn't know where he went. You know, Tumbley sneaked out, and he was really good at sneaking out because he always did that all of his life. Until just recently, I found a. Uh, yeah, until recently, I found a, uh, a, uh, a newspaper from this small town in between Rochester and Syracuse, Waterloo, New York, complaining about Francis Tumbley being there, and that there were some girls being accosted on the streets. So they're kind of saying it might be Francis Tumbley doing it. Well, nobody would have um, noticed that, but what I found out was that. Francis Tumbley's sister lived there, and he stayed with his sister for a month and a half. 
He did this, that was 1888, 1889. He did this in 1881 when he got arrested for sodomy in Toronto. Uh, when he was released, he came back to the States and he went to, back to Waterloo, New York. Because we know that because uh, the sister, Elizabeth Powderly, the son, Thomas Powderly, was uh, these latest uh, uh, sworn testimonies, they talked to him and he talked about that. Tumbley would come to their house. And so what happened was, is, so Tumbley was gone, so Scotland Yard, nobody knew where he was. He was probably gonna, never going to be coming back to New York City, so that was it. But he came back a month and a half later and came to Brooklyn uh, for other reasons, as uh, writing his next autobiography, actually. Yeah, the guy was pretty full of himself. Oh, yes. Uh, definitely narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, five five autobiographies. And that he would write, and it was all, you know, inflated. He would never talk about his family because his family that would have shown that he was uh, from a poor tenant farmer. He told people that his father was a surgeon from Dublin, and so when you know, for 15 years or so, when he was an Indian herb doctor, he just made uh, so much money. He became independently wealthy. But then what he started doing, and you could see it in his advertisements. His first autobiography, which was just after the war, 1866, 25 references to him being an Indian herb doctor. But his 1871-1872 autobiography, absolutely zero references to being an Indian herb doctor and all comments about him being asked to do surgical stuff. So, And in his autobiography, he didn't say that, his, uh, uh, that he, uh, he was a disciple of an Indian herb doctor or a disciple of any kind of herbal doctor, he said he was a disciple of Abernathy. And Abernathy was this, uh, John Abernathy was this English surgeon in the early 1800s. And, and so he kind of, that's who he kind of emulated. And uh, Well, so, he, everything, then, everything that he said, all of his autobiographical uh, uh, information, it was all just uh, blatant lies. He just made stuff up. I'll tell you, the, the section in your book where you were talking about different personality disorders and you described the narcissistic personality disorder, right. Uh, right. It, 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 it floored me and it scared me because it reminded me so much of, uh, of a very well-known person today. Yes, and, and that's exactly what's happening. And it, it, To me, I see... A lot of this, and it's the biggest thing about all serial killers is a lack of empathy, lack of remorse. And that right there, those two, antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder, are what they have, kind of like Ted Bundy. There were 93 psychologists that tried to figure out what personality disorder he had, and they all would say antisocial personality disorder. But, but over 90% of them said that they couldn't tell the difference between narcissistic personality disorder and that. And Tumbley had no friends. He never had a friend that he would associate with except these young men. And so yeah. he was a butt. He, was a, well, a, I, he I, could be charismatic I, when he wanted to be. I, I need to ask uh, – uh, uh, I, I, I guess I have, I have surmised that, that people have been interested in this case from, from the get-go. So for over 100 years, supposedly, people have been – researching this and interested in this and everything how in the world did it did we get to the 1990s before anybody heard of francis tumbleton well a couple things happened one was that scotland yard never told anyone who they were researching only when we uh, hindsight when someone would ask who in during retirement or we find some letters that this these particular uh scotland yard officials 
favored, let's say, a man named Kaczynski. And then uh, another one, uh, uh, the one that took over after 1889, he liked this guy named Druitt. And then uh, so, and so we have these kind of these reports. And no, one of the things what happened with Tumblety was that after Tumblety came back, you know, and I said the murder stopped. But that's not true. There was Alice McKenzie that was murdered six months later. And at that time, Scotland Yard was convinced that she was a Ripper victim. So they also knew full well Tumblety was in New York. So that would have taken him off the radar. But she was not eviscerated, was she? uh, She was, well, not all of them were completely eviscerated. So they were, uh, their, their necks were attacked and they were cut up. And so at that time, when they're looking at MOs and even offender signatures, uh, it's difficult for them. But they were, most of them were convinced that how she was attacked, she was attacked within a, all these women were attacked within a mile of each other, square mile, and they were all prostitutes. And, uh, and so and they were attacked with a knife. And so that's kind of why they believed that. And also they didn't have any suspects at the time. So, so then, but now today, most experts believe she was not because of the the attack was not as uh, that had that mo where, let's say, the canonical five, all of them were their necks were cut to the spine, and that, but uh, but Polly Nichols, the first one in August uh, 31, 1888, the first of the canonical five, there was a deep gash in her abdomen, but he did not. Uh, they, nothing was eviscerated, and uh, so. But you could see that uh, with the re, uh, eyewitness reports that he must have been interrupted. So then, a week later, when he killed Annie Chapman, that's when he had a chance because he was uh, he was in the backyard, so he had some more time, and he completely eviscerated this woman and t- took the uh, the the uh, uterus from this woman. And another one of those happened, though, uh, the same night, though. There, I mean, there, there was another one of those where he obviously was uh, was interrupted right. and then went and then an hour later found another victim. Yeah, less than an hour. Yeah, that was the, what we call the double event where Elizabeth – that was September 30th, 1888, where Elizabeth Stride, was, she was the first one attacked, and uh, uh, it was this Dutchfield's yard in, on Burner Street. What happened was is this, this guy uh, was riding his – uh, this uh, Deich uh, such I, I can't even say his name, Louis D, drove his cart into this area, and the horse went crazy. It was real dark. It was one in the morning. And so then he realized somebody was laying on the ground, but the horse was kind of quite agitated more than usual, even if it was a woman sleeping something off. And so when they looked, and she, and she was still warm to the touch. And so it looked like he was interrupted then. And then within 45 minutes, you have uh, in at Mitre Square, which is walking distance, which is about 12 to 15 minutes walking distance from there, this woman was completely eviscerated. You know, uterus, kidney taken, uh, so it was quite a nasty one. So, yes, that was – and so then two of the women didn't have anything taken, but it looked like they were – it was an interruption thing. So uh-huh. the Mackenzie didn't look like an interruption thing. Just that uh, didn't look like uh, the type of knife as well. So, well, what so, kind of but, a field is what? What kind of a field is this now? Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, it, it, there's obviously lots of people have 
are contributing lots of books and information, et cetera, et cetera. Is it uh, is is everybody uh, above board, or are there charlatans involved in this too? Well, it's it's less controlled. Like in my my other world, in the world of paleontology, where you've got peer review, and then when you write, you have peer review material. That it's so it's not. It's it's uh, more of a lots of people that are interested, but. What happens is, is that there is a quite a quite a peer review going on. For example, my books. What happens is we have one of the top researchers, uh, Paul Begg, who's written dozens of books. He does book reviews, and he's ruthless. So he uh, and he's really kind of by the book. So it's there is a kind of a, a filtering effect because lots of the experts look at these and. So then it goes. Then here comes the battle, kind of thing. So there is a little bit of that going on, and then, uh, but, um, but also like one of my articles, which was uh, what I did is I discovered that during the Ripper murders, it it right where Jack the Ripper, uh, about 200 yards from the uh, from the Polly Nichols murder, which is across the street from the London Hospital, there was a a, a wax museum. Uh, a Chamber of Horrors wax museum that was going on that would put the Ripper victims on display, a wax display within hours of the of the murder. It was very popular. They had all all five, even the six ones there, and so that was kind of a shocker. Nobody knew about this thing, and so I reported that. And that made uh, a uh, peer-reviewed journal just recently, Humanities, and that was the the major uh, citation was uh, was my article. So we try to definitely keep it so it is uh, uh, that in that realm. But you, when you look, if you kind of Google or on Amazon looking for Jack the Ripper books, you've you've got everything out there. So you definitely, and also you get uh, even on the History Channel, you'll get uh, some shows on particular suspects. Well, we'll we'll uh, you then after you see that, then you should start asking experts. What they did not say, because there's always cherry picking going on. So well, I mean, this that, this whole thing is so organized that that I mean, there's there's actually some some um, some funding somewhere available because you you told me that they they uh, they flew you was it was it to 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 Ireland where you were fated completely and they paid for everything. Oh, uh, that was uh, Icon Films did that. Uh, what happens is, is they contact people. Uh, they want to do. Uh, there's a new series on the Travel Channel going to start in January called Hunting Evidence, and uh, so they wanted to do one on Jack the Ripper. So they contacted some of the experts, and one of the experts uh, had said, "You better contact this Holly guy." And so next thing you know, they flew me to Dublin for this interview. And uh, the the host is Pat Spains, who you know is a charismatic guy. So hopefully, it does start. It doesn't get postponed because he's an interesting character. He's a biologist, and he's really into refuting things. So he's kind of like a, he uh, he goes into any kind of legends, you know, even uh, legends of let's say a dinosaur in the Congo, and he goes in there. Not that he's trying to purposely refute anything, but he wants to find out where the legend came from. And so he uh, he goes into that, and so he wanted to do it with Jack the Ripper. So uh, I, uh, it was really fun because uh, after speaking with him, uh, he was quite convinced. <laughs> so well, I'm but, uh, I'm 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 halfway convinced reading your book. I mean, this this you've you've got this stuff really well nailed down, and 
and I um, mean we could obviously talk forever but uh the only, the, the thing I want to leave with is is the fact that this uh this Tumblety guy who was not really a doctor who just fashioned himself as a doctor uh was also uh apparently a uh, physiologically a real and true hermaphrodite yeah, that was another of the big discoveries. Uh, what happened was the, uh, which is a reason why we actually have enough information for a third book. And a fellow researcher, Brian Young, and I uh, were, were nailing this down here so that we can talk to uh, Sunbury Press soon here. But you're you're right with that particular case. Uh, what happened was we didn't know this, but from 1881 to 1901. Now Tumbley died in 1903. Every Mardi Gras, he would go, every, uh, you know, uh, February, March, he would go to Mardi Gras, meet up with this young man named um, uh, Richard Norris. And because Tumbley had, you know, uh, a taste for young men, and that he would kind of molest them at first and then pay them off and try to convince them and to be, kind of hang out with him. And so boy Norris in every port. That. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but Norris himself, he actually worked for the New Orleans Police Department, and he had uh, a lot of uh, awards. He was a, a quite a credible person, so he was even married with kids. But uh, so he recalled the time when 1881, when uh, uh, Tumblety brought him up to his room, opened up his travel chest, and showed him his surgical knives. Well, that was a big shock because here's Jack the Ripper used likely used surgical knives, and this was in Tumblety's travel chest, and he was still going to London at the time. So then he he took one of those knives and put it in his throat. Well, he did that too, but the, uh, and molested him. But that was a month later. But one of the things he did, he took the cigarette out of Norris's mouth and he said, "There's two things bad for young men: cigarettes and streetwalkers. They should all be disemboweled." Yeah. Scotland Yard never ever knew that. So here it is. Tumbley was a key suspect in 1888, and they had no idea he said that before the murders. And so that right there was like, here it is. I wasn't trying to find something to support Tumblety as Jack the Ripper. We were just researching, looking for stuff. And then when we had this 900 pages of sworn testimony from St. Louis come out, holy moly, it's like it's more damning information. Again, I mean, uh, it's so we keep on going. So, I mean, if we ever find, uh, you know, no, one of the things that the the, the the quality experts say is we'll really never find out who Jack Dripper was because we've got like a dozen confessions already. And so we have just uh, some quality suspects. And what we do is we just keep on researching. So the more we're looking for reliable knowledge, and that's just like what you're talking about, is that we need reliable knowledge because people, you know, hear this fake news word comes out. So that's what we're trying to do is collect that. So purposely... I have experts ripping my book apart, but it's for good reason, because I don't want to have any uh, bad information out there that people are convinced is true. So I love the fact when pe- uh, the experts start trying to go at it. And But that's one of the reasons why I've been asked to do these lectures is because it's kind of withstood some of those, uh, uh, some of that, some great critique. Yeah. Folks, Michael Hawley is retired from the U.S. Navy. 
where he held the rank of commander as a naval aviator. He now teaches earth science and chemistry, but still finds time to research and write books about the Whitechapel murders. Thanks, Mike. It's been fun. Well, thank you very much, man. It's been fun talking about it. Okay. You can easily find this book at Amazon and all other outlets where books are sold. I think you'll enjoy dipping your toes into some ripperology. Michael Holly's book is Jack the Ripper, suspect Dr. Francis Tumblety, an American who may have actually been Jack the Ripper. This has been the author's interview from Sunbury Press. <laughs>